0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We often gather with family in different spaces uh, to renew our relationships and to be connected uh, together. And those are often wonderful celebrations, but they also, as we know, uh, can be difficult because of strained relationships, because of past hurts, because of uh, the issues that all families face. And sometimes we're together and it's a great celebration, other times the anticipation of those gatherings can be hard because we're thinking about conflict that exists within our family, or the struggle, or, or the different political views that will gather around the table, and the conversations that we're having have moved from online to around our dinner table. And so how are we going to navigate those those challenges? Uh, some of us also are struggling because family members that we love are no longer with us, and so there's a sense of, of grief and loss that we carry because we don't have the people close to us that we once did. And so there's all these feelings and there's all these challenges that we experience. And so I thought as we were approaching Advent, we're, we're in this season of anticipation. We're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. But as in any uh, anticipation, there's often a sense of longing uh, for what could be, uh, for the things that, that aren't the way that we want them to be. And we look at Jesus' family over, as we've done over the last couple of weeks. And we realize that, that Jesus' family uh, reflects to our family uh, there are many broken people uh, in jesus's family and there's a lot of struggle and difficulties that that come through in his life and so as we i want to encourage you as you're anticipating these events and you're probably having all those kinds of feelings and even more uh, to know that god is working uh, in and through his family and he's invited you to be part of his family and he can work through your family even in the difficulty, in the challenge that it brings. And so we're just taking some time to kind of look at different people in God's family as we consider what, what, uh, what, how family matters. Uh, we're going to look this morning at one person, uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to read a few verses out of, uh, out of the Gospel of Matthew and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which just tells us the whole or part of the family history of Jesus. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Two simple verses this morning. Verse 1. And verse 9, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And verse 9, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. The word of God for the people of God. May we see it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. What seems like a simple little verse or two is packed. It's packed with history. It's packed with hurt. It's packed with disobedience and discouragement. It's also filled with hope because it tells us the story of what you're doing. So I pray as we listen to that story and as we hear from you that you would give us courage and hope as we have our own story that is often filled with discouragement and fear and struggle you would help us to remember that we're part of your family and that as a result of uh, considering your word and exploring what your word says to us that you would draw us close that you would teach us and that we would not uh, leave the way we came that we would be changed that we would be different people having encountered your presence, and that would move us to faithful living, move us to repentance, and move us to walk with you so that we might bear witness to the gospel in the world that we live in. Uh, We know, Lord, that we're not doing that perfectly, but we're asking that you would uh, give us grace uh, to be your witnesses in the world, to pour forth your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know how the Bible often uh, repeats words over and over again to emphasize those words, right? When we write today, if you want to emphasize something, you put it in bold font or you maybe you do italics or quotations or an exclamation point. But in the original language, none of those, none of those devices, none of those literary devices Were used. Um, But one of the techniques that an author would use to emphasize something is to repeat a word. And if you read through the genealogy of Jesus, the word that you're going to see 39 times, 39 times in the first, I think, 18 verses, is Father. Often when we read through the genealogy, we get focused on the names because they're hard to read. Uh, there are people that we don't understand, or maybe we remember that name from Sunday school. But we just lose sight of the fact that the word father is repeated 39 times. It says he was the father of, the father of. And, and actually, in the original language, it's just one word. Um, and it's interesting because that word isn't the word that the Bible usually uses for, uh, for a father. It's instead the word for to father. It's the, the act of fathering it's the the word for procreating so it's not talking about these people in their action and living out the role of father within their family it's talking about how they fathered someone and in this account we learn about one of the people that is someone who fathered and that person is this morning Ahaz now Ahaz is not a a great father um, I want to just share with you a, uh, a personal account of how I was not a great father one uh, Christmas season. Uh, this morning we read, we did the uh, the, the uh, Advent candle this morning, and it was without it was not without conflict. This morning at our home as we were preparing for that and we recognize you know we try to ask lots of different people to do that and the the nervousness that you feel as you get ready to stand up so but we made it through fairly well this morning as a family still intact there was some disagreement there was some sense of hurry about getting here to do it um but i remember one year for christmas this was back when we lived in in st petersburg and i've told the story before but if you haven't heard it it's, it's a good one uh to see how your pastor is a humble broken man but we were living in this house that had a leak in the in the in the shower a slow leak and so it leaked through the bathroom wall into our bedroom and the the it leaked into the dresser and all over the carpet and so the carpet was all wet and we had to get that fixed and so we were this was all around christmas time this was my first year being an ordained minister of word and sacrament. So I was thinking about what I'm going to say when I get up on Christmas Eve to do the welcome and the introduction. And it's the, you know, it's the Christmas Eve service, so it's the big one. You know, you're ready and you're nervous. You, I haven't done this before. How's it going to be? And so we're all trying to get ready. Only Arden and Levi were alive then. And this was uh, the first year that Arden was going to wear a big, fancy uh, Christmas dress and patent leather black shoes with, uh, with was it, were they tights? tights, not, not stockings, tights, I never can figure out which is which, but tights. And you know, when you're three, you don't wear tights too often, and so you're not excited about it, and you're not excited about wearing patent leather shoes. But nevertheless, as the story goes, the the we're trying to fix the carpet, so we have these big blower fans that are drying out the carpet, drying out the room, we're trying to get ready. You know, Brandy's got all this hair on her head, and it's got to be dried at, to get ready, so she's Drying her hair and the blower, the short circuits, the blower. So she's stressed about getting ready. She's got wet hair. I'm trying to, I got to get there on time. So she says, take Arden with you. And I'm saying to Arden, put those patent leather shoes on she's like kicking them off doesn't want to doesn't want to wear the shoes and we're just like going back and forth and we're driving and i'm wearing a suit and i'm like put those shoes on by the time we get to church and i'm I'm realizing like this is not a good way to go into the christmas eve service at four o'clock but we're going there and i'm late you know i'm walking up i'm holding her and she's crying and i'm just like you know people like Merry Christmas, Pastor Matt. And I'm just like, you know, the ultimate Grinch coming in. And then I got to get up and say, hey, praise the Lord, we're all here together, right? And it's a great reminder of sometimes the, the stress of the season and the pressure of having things outwardly right and presenting yourself as a person who knows what they're doing and is ready gets in the way of being a good father. She never wore the shoes. Brandy says she never wore the shoes. And you know what? Jesus was probably worshipped that year, and he forgave me for being a bad father. All right, sorry, Art. Um, but so we all struggle, those of us who are fathers, we struggle with being a father, and we look at the world around us, and we realize that there's, there's a problem um, with fathers, and we get a real picture, a real life example of a really bad father in Ahaz. Ahaz was actually, a, it was kind of a nickname. His, his extended name was Ahaziah or Jehoaz, right? And what's omitted when you call him Ahaz is God's name. The three main accounts of Ahaz, if you want to read these later on today, are 2 Kings 16 2 Chronicles 28 and Isaiah 7, they're in the sermon notes back there if you want to read these up. Treat Ahaz as one of the most evil rulers of the southern kingdom of the people of God. At this time, because of disobedience, the kingdom of God, the 12 tribes, had been broken up into the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And Ahaz reigned over Judah when this enemy, a vicious, terrible enemy from the north, the Assyrians, were threatening the people of God. They're from the north, so they're obviously threatening the north. They're threatening also Judah, where Ahaz was the king. The kings of Israel and the kings of another enemy, Syria, had invaded Judah, where Ahaz was ruling, because they were wanting to make an alliance with the Assyrians. So you got Judah, Syria, Israel, Assyria. Syria and Israel have invaded Judah, And Assyria is threatening from the north. There's a lot of pressure on Ahaz as a leader. And in Isaiah 7, Isaiah makes a prophetic announcement. He announces the birth of Emmanuel, who is a sign of the dissolution of the countries of Israel and Syria. Those have gone away from God. These two kingdoms were eventually destroyed by this guy named Tiglath-Pileser, Pig laugh, pileser his nickname was Tiggy, in this campaign that lasted uh, two years in 720, 734 and 732 B.C. So you can imagine the, the political, military pressure that Ahaz is feeling. But he lacked trust in the God of history because he had rejected the faith of his fathers. If you read about him, you'll see he walked away from God. Chronicles describes him as erecting idols to the Canaanite God of fertility. He engaged in human sacrifice by offering his own sons in pagan worship. You do not win father of the year when you offer your sons in worship. In Chronicles, we learn uh, that these practices are the reason that God allowed uh, Israel and Syria to invade Judah. Listen to what it says. Therefore the Lord God gave him into the hand of the king of Syria, who defeated him and took captive a great number of his people and brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hand of the king of Israel, who struck him with great force. For Pekah, the son of Ramaliah killed 120,000 from Judah in one day. All of them, men of valor, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Devastating leadership. The fathers left the faith. God allowed judgment to come in. Eventually, the invaders came in, and they took away 200,000 people captive into Samaria. And then you have an additional problem with the people who were from Edom, from the south. They sensed weakness in Judah. And so here, Ahaz has an opportunity to trust God and to express faith in God. But he put his people under the control of Tiglath-Pileser. Not the kind of leader that you want and certainly not the kind of father that you want. And yet, this is one of Jesus' fathers that we find in the genealogy. If I'm telling Jesus' story and I want to make him out And present him as the Savior. I would probably remove Ahaz from the list. I would skip over Ahaz. And yet God doesn't do that. He leaves Ahaz in the story. Because he wants to teach us something about fathers. And probably a lot more. But what about fathers in the world today? Now we know that there is an epidemic of fatherlessness in the world. According to the Census Bureau that came out last year. 18.3 million children in America one in four live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. One in four children live without one of those kinds of fathers in their home. That doesn't mean they don't have a relationship with their father, but it means they don't live with that father in the home. And research shows, and you know all these statistics, these ideas, that when a child is raised in a father absent home, they're affected in some of these ways, four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to go to prison, to abuse drugs and alcohol, to suffer obesity, to drop out of high school, to commit crime, and on and on the list goes. Without a dad in the home, the bad statistics go up and the good statistics go down. And the reasons for these situations are all varied and they're all difficult, but this is where we are as a country, one in four. This has consequences for our nation. It has consequences for each of us. Boys without fathers often grow up to become fathers who don't parent. And girls without fathers can become moms with children who don't have fathers. Now having a present father isn't a guarantee. Ahaz, his father was Jotham who became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord, the Bible says. But if we aren't parenting our children, we aren't fathering our kids, there's a much greater likelihood that they're going to enter into the the downward spiral of the world in which we live. It gets progressively worse and it's a national problem. But what about us? What was your father like? Some of us had fathers who were faithful. Not only did they provide uh, making provision for us to have a home and the resources that we need, to live, but they also cared for mothers. They cared for children emotionally and spiritual. Yes, they protected from harm, but they also protected from the wiles of the devil because they imparted the word of God to you. And thanks be to God for those kinds of fathers that encourage you to walk in faith. But not everyone among us had a good father. Some dads paid the bills, but were not present emotionally. There were no hugs. There were no words of encouragement. There was only harshness. Many times, the roughness that those fathers had simply just reflected the the burden that they inherited from their own fathers. Some of our dads don't communicate. They don't really know us or our story or who we are. They don't take time to listen. They just offer high expectations without understanding. And one of the ways we know that our earthly fathers are imperfect. It's because we have a Heavenly Father who is. What about you if you're a father? You're called to provide and to care and to coach and to lead and to encourage, to love your wife and to provide. Sometimes the temptation is to lose yourself at work where you get affirmation and awards and income instead of just focusing time. At home, when when there's real work to be done there, where you may not get the same kind of affirmation. Sometimes the temptation is to be discouraged and to reflect and say, am I a good father? I've not been available. I've not been present to live with reject, regret." excuse me. We want to be good fathers, but maybe we didn't have one. And maybe we feel unsure about what to do. We've never been given a good example of what a father's like. What we can learn from Ahaz and all the bad fathers is the story of Jesus and our Heavenly Father that included in this great family of God this wonderful story of redemption, of hope, of justice, of peace, of incarnation, of God's presence with us that included in that story are fathers of all sorts, all different kinds of fathers. And so two questions that I love to ask when I'm reflecting on Scripture to try to dig up, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about what is God saying to us? And this is something I would encourage you to do as you read through scripture, is ask these two questions. Is it, what does this text say to us about God? And what does this text say to us about people? What does it say to us about God? So just take a second right now. As we've been talking about Ahaz, we've talked about the whole story of scripture. What does this say to us about God? What kind of God do we have? What does it say to us? One of the things it says to me about God is that God holds his people to standards. He holds his people to standards. When they fail to walk in obedience, there are real consequences. Ahaz failed to walk in the way of God. He bowed down to the idols of the culture that he was living in. He made alliances with non nonbelievers. He, he failed to love and encourage his own sons. And as a result, he brought death to his own family and destruction to his own nation. Now, of course, most of us are not called to be kings of nations, but we are leaders. We are people of influence. Whether you're a father or a mother or a co-worker or a leader, you have influence. Are we leading and loving in faithfulness? Are we walking in the way of the word of God to encourage? Now, no one is saying that we've got to be perfect because we know that only God is perfect. Only our heavenly father is perfect. But, But when we remember that we're in the family of God, We should live into the values of that family because we have a heavenly father who loves us, who's shared with us explicitly in his Word. These are the values of my family. I'm asking that you live into them or suffer the consequences. Another thing that it says to me about God, and I would encourage you as you're just listening, write down what does it say to you about God. Take some time to reflect on that question. Something else that I was thinking about is that God can use very broken people for his glory. You know, many of the people, we've talked about this a lot in this series, that God's family, they're very flawed. There's generational brokenness in God's family. And so you might think, you know, God, what are you doing? Why do you have so many bad characters in your family? Why don't you have people uh, that are, are faithful, that are walking with you? This isn't a good plan, God, that you have. But when you think about this, it just shows us over and over again that there's only really one hero in the whole story of Scripture. That hero is is Jesus. The hero is God. Even the the most famous Bible characters, the good ones, right? Noah and Moses and Abraham and David, all of them, just like us, fall short of the glory of God. They're all messed up in a real significant way. And yet, God loves them. God chooses to initiate a covenant with them He wants to be in relationship. He wants to be in partnership with them. He keeps inviting them into his presence in the same way that he does for me and you. He sees your brokenness. He sees your sin. He sees your wayward. He sees your apathy. And he continues to present himself as a God of grace and of mercy and of love, welcoming you into his family. Would that you receive that invitation and respond to it and enter into that family and then live according to the values of that family. See, if we look at God, we realize that God loved us. And the proof of that is the incarnation. That God didn't just create the world and just set it up and say, well, you guys figure it out. I hope it works out for you. But he's constantly working in and throughout history. And when he sees the plan from history has always been to send Jesus into the world, into the brokenness, into the mess of life and enter in to walk with and to invite those members of his family to himself so that they would have hope in the midst of broken families. The incarnation means that God will not abandon his people. He'll never go back on his promises. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. Better yet, he won't leave you. He won't forsake you. But are you responding to that love? Are you entering into his family? See, it looks like the world is getting ready to careen off a, off a cliff to, to, to crash and burn. And yet God is still sovereign. We look back at Ahaz and we go, can you imagine that that's what's going on with the people of God in that moment? And if God can work redemptively in that situation, then most certainly he can work redemptively in this situation. See, we can't control history. We can't uh, understand all that happens. But you know what we can know as a member of God's family is the presence of God. So we can have a relationship with that God. He's not off, distant, far away. He's near. The name Emmanuel means God with us. He's with you if you would but listen and hear and see and then respond. God's invited you to be part of his family, and he, he, he does this so that we can look at our own families in two ways, with truth and grace. You notice in that song we sang, uh, in, there's truth and grace in, that, in the song. we look at our own lives we look at our own families with truth what that means is to be honest to be honest about where our family is if ahaz was said you know look god i really want to be honest with you because i've been bowing down to all these idols i've really not followed you i see the truth of who you are how should i respond to that but he never did but for us who have the word of god we can take the truth of god's word and apply it to our lives and to say where is the dysfunction in my family what are the unhealthy practices Where is the root of bitterness that I've allowed to take root in my own heart? Where is the lack of forgiveness that I've not been willing to extend to a person in my own family? That doesn't mean that you have to have the same kind of relationship with them that you did before because sometimes you need to set a boundary. And in an abusive relationship, you need to get away and find real help. But there's forgiveness that can happen at the right time as you work through the issues in your family. And you let go of those things. And you entrust the person in your family that has hurt you to the Lord. You say, God, I'm giving this person to you because I need healing in my own life. See, when we look at our relationships with truth, we realize, you know, we had a part in it. It doesn't mean that we're responsible for all of it, but we often have a part in most of the conflicts that we experience in life. And to be able to say, you know, here's my part. God, I'm looking at my relationships in my family in truth. Help me to see my part in the relationship. Help me to see what I've done or not done that has contributed to the conflict and the difficulty. Help me see the truth. But then we also look at our families with grace. We also extend forgiveness. We also recognize that every single one of us is on a journey. We're on a path. We're walking along. We're not perfect. And we're never going to be perfect. There's healing that has to happen. And there's forgiveness that takes place. And we need to receive forgiveness. And we need to be able to extend forgiveness. We need to say, you know, my family's not perfect, and that's okay, because honestly, no one else's, right? You can look at us up all here. We all got dressed up and did our candle reading, and don't we look nice? But we don't have a perfect family, because I'm in it. Right? Right? Yeah. Everybody's family is on a journey. And so we extend grace to one another. We acknowledge the truth of who we are, then we can say, yes, we got to forgive one another because that's how we hold things together. That's how we live, and that's what God's family is. Because see, here's the deal. Every one of us is profoundly broken and far from God, and yet every one of us through the person of Jesus Christ is deeply loved and cared for. You matter to God, your family matters to God, your life and your story matters to God. In part, the reason you're here listening to this message is because you need to hear about the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. Because the grace that's given to you is the grace that you can extend to the people in your life so that you don't hold what they've done to you against them. You just live in freedom and you live in joy in the midst of a difficult season, in the midst of a difficult time. See, and the proof is Jesus' presence in your life. Is that when you hear a song about Jesus, there's something that stirs in your heart and your soul. It's his presence with you. It's not you being a better person. It's Jesus entering into your life and coming to you and saying, I want to be in relationship with you just as you are. I love you. I laid my life down for you. I came to this broken world for you. So now enter into relationship with me. Come be a part of my family and let's journey together. That's the invitation that every person is given. It's not for perfect people. It's for broken people. You see, what it tells us is that God is not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with your father. He's not done with me as a father. He's still working. He's still on his throne. He's still accomplishing his purposes. And the more I align myself with him, The more I align myself with his people and with his word, the more I'm going to sense his presence and be on that journey and recognize in truth where I need to to grow and where I need to experience grace. See, all we have to do to see this grace is look at Ahaz's story once again. Yes, Ahaz was disobedient. Yes, he was an evil king. Yes, he was a terrible father. And yet, you know one of his sons? His name in verse 9? Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a righteous king. First Susie, second Kings says this, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah's name means Yahweh Strengthens. He led sweeping reforms and ruled over Judah for almost 30 years. And while he faced the same great challenges from the Assyrians, God used Hezekiah for renewal and revival and glorious military victory over the enemies of God. In one generation, with one person who said, Yes, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to be a father that is in line with your commands. He changed the trajectory of his family and of his nation. It takes one person, one father, one mother, one grandmother, one friend, one person saying, I'm going to follow Jesus in this family, in this workplace, in this community, to step up and to stand up and to say, I want to bring flourishing to this community. I acknowledge in the truth that I have brokenness, but I know that God has given me his grace and that he wants to use me. This reminds us that no matter what kind of father that we have, father that we had, no matter what kind of father that we are, it's our heavenly father that wants to move us toward faithfulness. No matter how you felt when you came in this room, if you were distracted, if you were apathetic, if you were discouraged, if you were hopeful, If it was great for you to be back here for the first time in a year and a half like it was for the Ivies, we're so glad to have you back this morning. However you came into this room, God wants to extend his presence to you, to reveal himself to you so that you would respond to his grace and his mercy. Don't reject that invitation. Don't just walk out of here saying, "Ah, you know, that's old-fashioned stuff. That doesn't apply to me. Receive and embrace the God of history so that he might encourage you in this life, in both truth and grace. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that empowers us to be a faithful, loving follower or father of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, Maturing God's People to Serve a Hurting World. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.